Welcome to Unfiltered, an intellectual podcast. Today, M and myself, C, will be discussing the recent events unfolding in St. Louis, and we'll take a look at the media narrative that has portrayed America as a homeland or a haven of um, police violence and police brutality, specifically against minorities. And so we can explore a few cases, such as the Trayvon Martin case, the Michael Brown case, take a look at uh, BLM, but quickly come up to the present day with this St. Louis case. And then we can look at the, the protests that have been a result, and this has been common uh, throughout this narrative. And then we can take a look at what this might mean for the future uh, political state of America. So let's begin with Trayvon Martin. Um, we remember this case. Um, the media went absolutely wild over this case. And there was a lot of outrage. It seemed like the, the narrative essentially was to portray um, George Zimmerman as kind of a racist white guy who wanted to, in a sense, eliminate uh, Trayvon Martin, a young black guy, and use the Florida state stand your ground uh, law as a justification to do so. But if we look deeper into the facts, we kind of see that the media is misleading the general public about this. And that brings us to the question, why is the media doing this? And what does this mean? So to take a quick look at that case, I'm getting a lot of information that has been gathered astutely by Bill Whittle of the Afterburner, his particular uh, YouTube video. And uh, this one is called The Afterburner with Bill Whittle, The Lynching. Great video. I recommend this guy. Um, he's fallen a little bit out of the spotlight since the, uh, the Trump phenomenon, but still a great voice in conservative politics. Anyway, we remember the two images of Trayvon and George Zimmerman. Zimmerman looked like he was in a mugshot. Trayvon looked like he was a 13-year-old boy, and in fact, he was. It was a very young picture of him, and that began with People magazine, and that continued on to be the main, uh, mainstream media's meme about this case. However, later on, pictures came out that illustrated Trayvon Martin uh, in his Facebook page as a thug, a gangster, having platinum gold grills in his teeth, uh, throwing epithets all over the place, uh, making obscene gestures, did not look like a wholesome guy. Um, so we see, when we come boil down to the case, Zimmerman is assaulted and bloodied. Again, the media doesn't cover this. Martin's Facebook page shows MMA brag posts about what he can do. And in fact, he was beating Zimmerman at the scene when the police arrived with MMA uh, style um, assaults. Okay, another factor. He was portrayed as a young kid getting Skittles and iced tea from a neighborhood convenience store. However, upon closer inspection, there's something called lean, and that's a, a, a drug that's commonly used in the ghetto, and that combines precisely the kind of iced tea that he had, cough syrup, and Skittles. And in fact, he talks specifically about lean on his Facebook page. And in an autopsy of his liver, he had uh, damage that could be very uh, closely associated with the abuse of lean. And the last factor is, Using too much of this drug can cause aggression and paranoia, something we might see as a cause for this incident. So we look at this, these cases, and that's why George Zimmerman was acquitted. And we wonder, uh, what, what's going on with the media? Why, why did NBC, for example, selectively edit the 9-11 call, making it seem like Zimmerman volunteered? He looks black, as if that were enough justification for suspicion, right? When in reality, he was responding, when he listened to the whole tape, he was responding to uh, the 9-11 dispatcher's prompt, is your suspect black, white, or Hispanic? And he said he looks black. And this continued on, and we, we know this, and, and, and it's, it's a bit troublesome, and if this was a single case, that's one thing. But when it starts fitting into a general narrative, when you integrate, say, the Michael Brown case, um, it becomes quite troublesome. And a uh, quick look at Michael Brown, strong-armed, if you remember the surveillance video, very aggressive, very big guy, strong-armed to convenience store. The Obama administration and his attorney general, Eric Holder, tried to suppress 
that videotape. And this is another trend with quite a few um, instances in this narrative where the Obama administration, I guess representing the Democrats and the American left, was specifically suppressing information that would lead to a, 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 an alternative narrative than the one that the media was presenting. So these things are very, very alarming. And we have a number of these cases, and I'm sure any listener can can pick one off the top of their head. Um, however, at this point, I think we can focus on St. Louis. And I know that M is familiar with the case, and I've also been looking into the case. So I'm looking forward to hearing from M. Yeah, so what happened was that a judge found a former St. Louis police officer not guilty of first-degree murder on, uh, this is Friday, September 15th. And so what happened was, just to get some context of why why is this an issue in the first place. So the officer and his partner, uh, he's now a former officer, uh, began the chase uh, with first trying to arrest a suspect for a heroin deal at Church's Chicken. While they were trying to go through with the arrest, the suspect had gone in his car, reversed and crashed into the police vehicle and tried to speed away. While he was trying to speed away, the former officer's partner had broken the window of the car and then yelled gun. And so after this, they proceeded into a high speed chase with speeds getting up to 87 miles an hour and it was raining he was causing a lot of danger to the surrounding area people who were driving and the other issue was the chase finally ended when the suspect was going to drive into oncoming traffic and that's when the police officers had used their cars to crash into the suspect's vehicles and at this point, this is when uh, the suspect um, was, was in his car and the officers approached his car. At this point, it seemed like the suspect was reaching for something in his car and he was not complying with officers when they said that, uh, when they said to the, to the suspect, open the door and then show me your hands. The suspect was not complying with that. And at that point, the officer thought that the suspect had a gun in his possession was going to bring imminent danger to, to the officer. So the officer then shot the, the suspect and afterwards the suspect died. And so this became an issue in, for, for the court because uh, the prosecutors were saying that the officer w- had committed first degree murder. He had intention of killing the person, uh, the, the suspect in this case. And so what's interesting was first that this case wasn't uh, prosecuted at the time. This was in 2011 time when the, when the case occurred. The, the prosecutor only brought charges very recently. And they had decided that there was some sort of new evidence, but that was never explained. So how did the judge come to his uh, not guilty verdict? Well, he said... Uh, First, the state had not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the officer had committed first-degree murder, and this is also applicable to lesser charges. Additionally, the state could also not prove that the officer was not acting in self-defense. In this case, the state has to prove uh, that the officer did not act in self-defense in order to uh, have a self-defense plea get thrown out. Yeah, so I think it's it's pretty clear to see that I I think the officer was justified in his act. You have to think about it at the time. So he's going after a person who is a heroin dealer. Even the judge even said that in his thirty years of experience, he has never seen a heroin dealer not having a gun. So I think it's I think just from common sense, it's pretty foolish to assume that the suspect did not have a gun. And let's take a look at crime statistics for the city where this took place. St. Louis is the most violent city in the United States. The crime, the crime rate is astronomical, right? And it might have some competition with Baltimore. It's in competition with Baltimore, but it's winning this one, man. St. Louis is a brutal place. And no, no wonder. 
And, and let's say there's a racial component of this, right? There's quite a few components, but to take the racial component and then just take it as an officer. Um, there's a claim of racial bias. In this particular case, I don't see it. However, in relation to other cases, it seems like one could assume that there could be some more racial bias. But if you consider that cops in New York are 25 times more likely to be seeking a black shooter than a white one based on homicide statistics, one can understand why this kind of uh, pres pre presumption comes to the police officer when they're dealing with a very dangerous case. When your life is at stake, you're going to rely on these things. And when you have a 25 to 1 chance of this suspect being, or, or if you have such a greater ratio, your experience is going to inform you that this person may be more dangerous. And you have to be very careful when you're, uh, when you're in such a dangerous situation, which the police are on a daily basis. The officer didn't know this at the time, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So the the suspect, he was actually released from prison in May of 2011. Uh, so in 2010, he pleaded guilty to weapon and drug charges and was sentenced to five years in prison. And he also pleaded guilty to a theft charge uh, from Ferguson, and he was sentenced to thir three years. So at the end of it, he only served 16 months and then was re released. Right. So, so clearly he was not a good hombre. Not an hombre. Not a good hombre. <laughs> no es bueno. And um, so, and, and if you just take a look at the footage, it's available on YouTube. It's amazing. You know, you have access to everything to make your own opinion at this, at this stage of the game. If you take a look at the YouTube video, the cops box in the car and immediately, if you want to get out of uh, a confrontation with the police um, without having it escalate, just follow the rules. Just submit. I understand when you're worried about, you know, uh, uh, some kind of very large case for heroin. I mean, we're talking about dozen, uh, you know, decades in prison. I understand it can, you know, one has the inclination to flee. But nevertheless, if you do that, you're choosing, you're putting the police officers at risk and you're putting the public at risk. Whether you care about that or not, you have to realize that the police officers will be at a very heightened state of uh, how could we say it? Adrenaline, aggression. They're going to protect themselves and they're going to protect the community and they're going to assume that you're very dangerous. So if you take a look at the video, it, the guy immediately, he was resisting arrest by just driving away, speeding. There are a few accidents that were sustained along the way. And police officers have no idea what happens when the car finally um, becomes a wreck and they have to approach it. That guy could be ready, you know, in a hideout, shooting through his windows. There's no telling, and police officers don't want to lose their lives, and we as citizens don't want police officers to lose their lives. In my opinion, once you've done that, you've resisted arrest in this kind of thing, you've sacrificed your right to fair uh, or nonviolent treatment because you will be uh, put down by the police. That's that's the law. It has to be uphold, held. If it wasn't that way, um, we, we wouldn't be able to control crime at all. Yeah, remember that the suspect, when he was initially trying to flee the scene, uh, this was at the church's chicken, he had reversed into the police vehicle, crashed into the police vehicle, and then sped away. And then the chase only ended because officers saw that the suspect was going to drive straight into oncoming traffic. So clearly, like it's not like this person was innocent. He, he was causing a, a lot of danger to people on the road, and you could even argue that, in a sense, he was assaulting the officers because he was using his car to ram into the police vehicle. As soon as you resist arrest, you have broken the law. And, and no matter what the case is, the, ju the ju judge and jury will, will sort that out. But as soon as you arrest arrest, resist arrest, you are now in a direct confrontation with the police, which the police are trained and have to um, close the deal. They, they The police have to... Uh, you know, handle the situation and, and bring it to um, a conclusion. They have to arrest you. Right there. Right there. I mean, people need, if, if the news media were responsible, halfway responsible, they could be covering cases of how to behave with, uh, with, the, with the police. Or um, they could be informing, you know, uh, the public of other cases that don't have to do with this. I think we can get into that a bit later. Um, but either people don't know how to behave when they're stopped by the police or they don't care. But if you look, this is a common element in just about all of these narratives. Each and every person had resisted arrest 
and then the situation that escalated uh, became fatal. And that's something that the news media jumped upon uh, to demonize police as racist or uh, committing unusual acts of violence. Unbelievable. How do, what do you expect the police to do if they're dealing with a dangerous suspect? We can't expect them to do anything else. I mean, they have to enforce the law. That's the reason we have a civilized society. That's the reason we have order. Without that, the entire society begins to break down. And that's, that's an interesting point or a concept because when the media, if the media were, say, supporting law enforcement, and we don't mean corruption, we don't mean law enforcement that is legitimately acting uh, in a way that's contrary to society. Um, the media being a watchdog in that respect would be following the civic responsibilities. But when they are making it almost impossible for the police officers to do their job, what are they doing? They're knocking out a critical area or a critical pillar of society. Um, and, and, you know, what's the conclusion? If we go along with the media's narrative to the very end, what's the conclusion? The conclusion is that our, our civilization begins to fail. Yeah, but on top of that, it's like by essentially boosting this narrative that you have this big, bad, evil police officer oppressing all these people, right. you end up stoking a lot of tension. And what happens is, you know, after this acquittal was announced, city officials were concerned that there was going to be a riot. And guess what? There was a riot. And, <sighs> Scary and, riot. Yeah, you, you have headline pictures showing rioters burning American flags. And there were 33 arrests made uh, mostly it was for resisting arrest and failure to disperse uh, there was also destruction of city property as well but interesting to note there was one person jeremiah williams he was a 36 year old black man from st louis and he was charged with i, I believe second and third degree assault of a law enforcement officer and with felony resisting good man yeah clearly a very good man and then you also had a mob of people uh, go to the St. Louis mayor's house and break windows. You also had two officers who were hit by bricks and required medical treatment. And what's also interesting was that of the 33 arrests that were made, uh, nearly two-thirds of those being arrested were, were whites, and most of them were men. And noticing there, there, are many, there are many white people that were in the protest, and they reminded me a lot of our experience in the... Um, the Boston Free Speech Rally, and my my estimation would be that these would be part of this larger organization that you know handles BLM and uh, Antifa, and they're really stoking this kind of thing up, and you can see it rampant on social media. George Soros, for example, raised 130 million for Black Lives Matter causes. Now, that's a lot of money. That can go a long way. So for the white people, I get the impression. Um, I, I don't have the depth at the moment to, to say this conclusively, but I get the impression a lot of these people are being motivated by uh, political organizations that are funded by people like George Soros or by George Soros turning them out himself. The second point, though, is I did see a lot of black protesters, and they look terrible. Um, at Stock Monster USA, a, a, a Twitter poster, for example, filmed a liberal media reporter being threatened uh, by black protesters. It was extremely violent. Um, I saw a bunch of black protesters destroying police cars, smashing windows and looting. And this seems to be a, a common theme. So that might even be more political opportunism or an opportunity to express hate against uh, law enforcement. And if you're a criminal, of course you don't like law enforcement. They are, you know, they threaten you with uh, imprisonment and to, you know, ruin your vitality or your, your way of living. That's understandable. Nevertheless, you can't have criminals in society and expect society to function well or to protect citizens easily. Um, so that, that those are some trends that I noticed with the protesters. Yeah, and what people are going to be chanting is like, no justice, no peace. Let's think about the case. You have a person who is a heroin dealer. He had a weapon in the vehicle. He had attacked a police vehicle and was speeding into oncoming traffic. And, and he was, it would appear to be, was reaching between the seats to supposedly find a, a gun. And he had a record of getting sentenced to prison for weapons and drug charges. He's not an angel. It's not an angel. They're never angels. That's the funny thing. So I think you have to look at this as a structured approach. 
So people aren't spontaneously coming out with outrage, although the media would like to portray it that way. Humans don't really work that way. They kind of have to be organized by synchronized messages. And so when you look at the media, um, the media apparatus pushing a story or a narrative in one way, and then you look at these kind of hidden black ops with this, uh, you know, Soros type funded operations, the Antifa and Black Lives Matter. It seems like they're the primary organizers and the ones that work for those organiza organizations, are the ones with the, uh, the speakers, you know, the loudspeakers and they're, they're yelling marching orders at their uh, followers, you know. And um, it's just so funny that the people managing this operation, it almost looks like a company. Like there's got to be a CEO or a board of directors at the top that are making uh, intelligent decisions in terms of uh, for, form, uh, making formation and coordinating and strategizing, etc. all of these people. You would think they could pick better cases, right? Trayvon Martin case, a farce. Uh, Michael Brown case, a farce. The St. Louis case looks to me like a farce. These, like you said, they're not angels. You would think that there could be some cases that were so obvious um, they could choose those and rally around those. But the only reason that they don't find them, in my opinion, is that they can't find any. And what does that say for the state of society? You know, what does that say for the entire narrative that they're producing? That it's artificial. So yeah, that's e troubling. even in this case, uh, the city already paid a nine hundred thousand dollars settlement to the suspect's family from a civil suit. So the city was trying was trying to to pay them off, even though there seems like now we know there's no wrongdoing. But now the lawyer in that case is trying to reopen the suit to get more money. You know what? Again, this is speculation, but I suspect that there may be some kind of corruption or something. I'm sure that city council is not the holiest, you know, group of people. And um, when I see things like this, like taxpayer money, people, you know, involuntarily taxed income, um, and then they just give it out willy-nilly, you know, uh, 900 million here. I mean, I've heard so many cases of this kind of thing. It's 900,000. Sorry? 900,000. Exactly. No, sorry, 900,000, almost a million. Um, and also, if you, I believe it was 600,000, that was the cost of Ben Shapiro's um, appearance at the University UC Berkeley, which is a free speech issue. But we're looking at these organized protesters, probably from the same parent organization, umbrella organization. And the cost is enormous. U2 canceled their St. Louis concert. Um, so did Ed uh, Sheeran. So, like, you just, you see the cost spiraling, not to mention the looting you know, and, and to make another point, um, riots depress income, right? Also employment and property values. For example, uh, black family income in cities that have rioted between 1960 and present day have dropped by 9% uh, compared with cities that did not. And black homes dropped by 20% in the same cities. So we're looking at just an economic crater. And who has to pay for that? In many cases, it, it, it could be private citizens, but in many cases, um, uh, the taxpayer pays, although in these cases, it is private institutions. And I say, tax, you know, pay, pay through the nose, UC Berkeley, because you need to you need to be hit somehow. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, the issue is, is, is with like with all this writing is that it ends up keeping the community down even further because who wants to open up a business in a place that's prone to violence? And absolutely, and maybe not all of these shopkeepers have a very robust insurance policy to insure them against these types of looting losses. And who knows? Maybe the shop owner could also be a, a, a fellow black person. So by looting that store, you're only hurting your own community. St. Louis is forty nine percent black, um, and so it's a it's a reasonable expectation. Not that I think race should be. Uh, a big factor here, but apparently it is because it means a lot to the people that are protesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do, and this relates to property values and businesses and looting, we're trying to create a system of safety and the police and the courts are absolutely necessary for creating that system of safety or that environment of safety where people can do business and get on with their daily lives without being assaulted or their property being destroyed or damaged. And the police are necessary to keep that order. And so it seems like when the media and these groups or this, this, all this fake news that's, you know, flame, fueling the, fam, uh, the flames of people that are already emotionally volatile, apparently, 
um, causing them to go out and root uh, and, and riot and protest and loot. It looks like it's just kicking those fundamental pillars out from society so that we, you don't have that safety that allows commerce to go on and just, you know, every kind of social interaction just to happen normally. And uh, so it's quite alarming when, when you look at this uh, from the high level view. And there's no, although we have a, an executive that, you know, is very staunch on the issue, um, it doesn't look like the, the left or the alt-left, as Hannity would say, um, is interested in stopping anytime soon. And there's no objective criteria to follow when you have a case like this. It seems like any case that involves a white police officer and a black suspect, regardless if the black suspect is an angel or not, you should go out and riot. These people have to be dumb right to, to riot because at this point there's so much alternative media and this is what even with the Zimmerman case that was quite a bit earlier that was just the beginning of this news fact checking you know checking up on the news for for authenticity since the Trump administration that has ballooned and there's so much information available and there's so many commentators that are aggregating this information and making it available to listeners and their audiences have grown with the Trump administration and the Trump phenomenon so it seems like the left is is just low IQ from top to bottom, in a sense, because they're picking these these cases that can be easily taken apart. And once people understand that the narrative is fake, they're going to, you know, they're not going to listen to them. They don't believe that they have any integrity. And the people that are rioting, I mean, they either don't care that the narrative is fake or um, or they're, uh, they just want an excuse to riot or, I mean, there's, there's something completely wrong with the picture, um, or they don't get it. And if they don't get it, that's their own fault for not being able to research or find alternative voices. Um, and that's not, not smart. That's not a group of smart people, I don't think. Yeah, what I find hilarious from the mainstream media is that they start posting pictures of the suspect, Anthony Smith, who's a 24-year-old guy, and it's a picture of him with his daughter. And they try to paint him as this great person. But let's face the facts. If he wanted to be a good father for his daughter, one, he shouldn't be committing these types of crimes. He should be a good role model for her. What kind of example? at risk. He could be in jail for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, what kind of example? Now he's dead. What, what kind of example is he setting by committing all these crimes? You know, that's not a good example for his daughter to follow. And his daughter now will grow up without a father because of the choices that he made. And that's very sad for the daughter. And yeah. there has to be personal responsibility on this guy. You know, he he's left this this as you said this this child without a father. He did not set a good example. And how is he going to provide for his family in, if he were in prison? Yeah, and and we all, I mean the the toll of violence. We have many people injured. You have ten officers injured in St. Louis due to the riots. Um, this has nothing to do with this particular guy. I don't. I mean, he was just selling some heroin, trying to make a living, obviously not thinking long-term, not respecting the rules of society, probably a rough guy, probably not a guy you want to spend time with. But, I mean, at one level, you can understand that's that's the hood, right? Ask Biggie Smalls. I mean, that shit happens. But um, it's really this, this uh, fake news narrative that blows this original kind of tragedy up. Now this daughter has no father. Uh, now this police officer had to deal with this is traumatized. He could have been injured. There's property damage. There could have been much more damage in the chase. The whole thing is terrible, right? And then the media drums it up and makes it even worse by causing these riots and mass scale destruction. So it's like taking a small destructive story and um, just bringing it up in, in scale and, and externalizing what was a localized issue. It's It's... It's a very scare. It's very cancerous, right? It looks like cancer in a body is something that's not really of the body. It's not functioning correctly. It's a bad instance, and then it metastasizes in other places and causes even more harm. This looks like a cancer of society. I think we need to be strong in addressing this. We need to get rid of it. It's very curious which local stories the mainstream media picks up and which ones it ignores. Yeah. So clearly, this this story was going to probably fit very nicely within their narrative of talking about police brutality and how the police system is being used to oppress the black community. So obviously right. they're going to run this story. It seems it seems essential. But are they also going to talk about the immense amount of 
uh, crime within the black community there like are they going to talk about those in the community who just want to live a safe life but they can't because there's so much crime there well let's talk about that right uh this is again i'm going to reference bill whittle and he uh talks about statistics such as police shootings completely relatable more than half well let's say 662 uh Whites and Hispanics were shot in 2015, while only uh, 258 blacks were shot. And this is in light of statistics that blacks commit murder at 11 times the rate of whites. And um, cops are killed 18 times more by blacks than unarmed blacks are killed by police. So you, you put these statistics in perspective and it looks like there's a narrative of an extreme risk around police officers and they have to um, they have to conclude the situation that they're in with force when these people resist arrest and what did all of these characters have in common they resisted arrest it's like they're sticking you know their face in the muzzle of the the police officer's gun i've never seen something so irresponsible and widespread except for the fact that the mainstream uh fake news uh, brings these stories uh, to a new level of impact. I think that is actually more irresponsible than the individuals resisting arrest. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they they rile up these stories, get people to think that there's this big problem, but it's actually a very small subsection of the entire issue of crime. And it also right. makes it seem like police officers are bad people, but most police officers are there to serve their community. They don't deserve to have to be put in such harm's way like with the risk of being shot and killed like they also have families that they want to return to at home and they're providing a great service in patrolling and protecting our our communities so i think in some ways the left is actually um doing justice to the right because the right the tr the people who elected donald trump um and people who may have been almost there to casting a vote but not quite I think this is a boon to the Trump administration and the right crowd because that's what he was promising. He was promising order. Um, he was pro promising fairness, uh, protection, uh, these kinds of things. And that's what people want. So when you see these phenomena going on that are, you know, destabilizing communities um, and people that are law abiding citizens are fearful of not only the criminals, but also the um, the protesters who often loot and riot and assault and that kind of thing. And, and, it, and it, so I think, and also their flag burning. And remember that Donald Trump, I mean, the, the American flag was present at just about at basically every rally. It was omnipresent and most supporters love flying the flag because it's a symbol of unity and shared values. And these people are almost universally BLM, Antifa, uh, lots of people on the, this this uh, socialist left, they're burning the flag consistently, and that also happened in uh, St. Louis. So I think that these are these uh, these um, these elements of society, these phenomena, they're pushing people that are Trump supporters even more tightly in the Trump camp and pushing them together to make them more empowered to act. And they're also pushing people who might have been on the sidelines who thought things might just get better, or I really don't want to get involved with this. I'm more of a standard. I listen to the mainstream media. I'm a, just a standard citizen. Uh, those people may be pushed when they see this escalation into the Trump camp or the right camp, whatever that eventually uh, manages to be. So it seems like they're kind of, although they're trying to bring civilization down, they're working across their purpose because they're organizing people who are terrified of that and, and want, want civilization to, um, to maintain properly. Yeah, and President Trump always likes to go after the mainstream media for pushing fake news. And exactly. I think while some people might be questioning that on other types of topics that the media covers, when I think when it comes to this type of topic, I think people can easily see the fake news here. They're selectively editing what type of information you're getting. They're selectively editing the evidence that's produced out there. So you only get a subsection that makes it seem like the suspect was this good person and the officer was an evil person. But it's very easy to go and do the research and read the judge's ruling for yourself, examine the evidence, and come up to your own conclusion. And I think more often than not, you're probably going to see that in this case and several other cases, the officer was justified to use deadly force.
Absolutely, and and as the uh, the left continue, uh, the the right continues to grow, we're going to see more fact checking coming out that can produce an alternative narrative, um, and I think it's having an effect on the mainstream media. So I did a little exercise. Um, I followed um, I followed on Twitter. I made two accounts, and I followed uh, people on the right with one account and people on the left with the other account. I to, for the most part, exhausted my resources of knowledge. That means how many people I knew that were, you know, bastions of the left and bastions of the right, or at least on that side. It turns out that the people I know on the left are almost five times higher. So I can follow almost five times more people on the left than I can on the right. And and these are these include much more mainstream um, and established organizations than they do on the left and on the right. And those people that I fall on the right tend to be, you know, relatively new personalities, relatively small institutions. So you can see that there's so much weight behind uh, the mainstream news and the fake news that some people can kind of see all of these things and use it as a, a bias, kind of like a confirmation bias. It seems like everybody is saying the same thing, so it must be true. Um, however, the, the right is growing. And I think it will continue to grow. It's, it's still kind of an infant. It's almost a cottage industry at this point. Um, but the, the followers are growing exponentially. And that's, that's, a, that's a very good thing. But at the very least, people have an alternative opinion. And so I, I think the media thinks they can get away with this still because they're so big. But they have an Achilles heel. And that, I think that's why the Trump phenomenon is so you know, enraging to them. Or as Bannon said, that they, they can't think rationally when Donald Trump is in the Oval Office. Um, he is just a gr brilliant, uh, glaring reminder that they don't have as much control as they would like to have and as much control as they need to f uh, forward these kind of fake narratives. I mean, you'd have to have North Korea, North Korea's control over the media to really get away with the kind of fake news that they are with these these fake narratives. Yeah, can you imagine if you're on the fake news mainstream media and President Trump comes along and deals a piercing blow against this false narrative that you're pushing? He knocks them out almost every time. They just go down, you know? Mike Tyson, first round, boom. Heavyweight, they're knocked out, and that's it. And the issue is, like, remember, they've been trying to push this narrative for years now. And I think you do have a core contingent of people who support the narrative, but they're not really critically thinking. You know, we've mentioned this before, this you know, this type of first order thinking, which I think these many of these BLM supporters fall under. They only listen to what the narrative is. You know, the, these are the instructions. OK, police officers are bad. Whoever the suspect is, he's always good. And so if we're going to resist the system, we have to riot. We have to cause destruction to the city. I mean, some people also engage in looting. But they don't take that second-order level of thinking of what exactly happened in this case. What was the responsibility of, of the suspect? Why did the officer act in the way that he or she acted? And is it productive for me to riot? So they don't do that. I think people who end up start to think about what are the facts of this, this situation, this case, they start to realize... This is just a narrative that people are pushing so that they get their core group of supporters riled up and they can also try to attract some other people from the community to get riled up with them and to go and fulfill whatever their goal is. You know, it's so irresponsible. I would like to freeze George Soros and any other major financial player or institution that's involved, freeze their assets and to pay for this kind of thing. Um, because we're looking at damages in the millions that have no productive output, it doesn't contribute to our economic growth or our economic well-being in any way. It just damages and divides our society, which has more unseen uh, costs. And it, it's it's unbelievable the kind of uh, the, the kind of economic toll that these things take. And it, that that's also a story. Um, that that would be wonderful if the mainstream media covered or if anybody covered it in a really specific way. But you have people like Paul Krugman. I, I don't think he'll ever address that subject. But um, the toll is massive and, and it's accumulating. And if we're going to, quote, make America great again, we have to cut that kind of fat out. And there's no place for that fat in any society, never mind our own. Yeah, we have to make America safe again. I think it's very fair to say that every child in America should 
be able to grow up in a community that's safe. And if you have these high crime communities around, these kids are going to be held back. And kids who grow up in these types of communities, they're going to have this big pressure to join a gang and to engage in criminal activity. Whereas kids who don't grow up in these areas, it's much easier to become an adult and not have to worry about being pressured to commit crimes or being uh, made fun of because you're smart and you actually want to have aspirations that don't involve you being a criminal or working some sort of low-end retail job. It's very unfair to these children if they had to grow up in a community of crime. And if police officers are going to be stymied in their efforts to eliminate this crime and put these people who are criminals into jail and to try to rehabilitate them and improve these communities, you're not going to see improvement in these poor high crime areas. And unfortunately, a lot of these high crime areas end up also being predominantly black. And so if you really want to improve the standard of living of blacks in America, one, you need to make it safer so that people can grow up in peace and don't have to be worried about being pressured to commit crime because it's something that's viewed as cool. And I think you would also naturally see that there would be less of a stigma about being smart and wanting to escape the hood. And so it's very sad that this this fake news mainstream media narrative is actually hurting the people that they claim to help. And it's it all ends up just being mainstream media trying to virtue signal saying, oh, aren't we so virtuous? We're trying to help the black community, but they're not actually doing anything to help them. No, quite the opposite. And I think I think what they're doing is they're, you know, dividing and conquering. They're looking at white or societal racism and or pushing this narrative. And what that does is it develops resentment and fear and hatred and activism in minorities for voting purposes. So that's one element that they get this kind of uh, voting block, which is the same concept that I was mentioning with the, the, the Trump element, who is responding directly from them. It creates solidarity and uh, a shared vision. But and then in the second sense, they're also channeling this hate violently um, toward these pillars of societies, such as the police or, event, uh, you know, greater society, societal harmony in general. And it's eroding the integrity of the system, uh, whether it's employers or the government or the police, as I mentioned. Um, and often they seek to elect new officials that will forward this narrative um, from this floating block. And that will only expedite the process because the elected officials or the, the judges uh, that, that are trained as lawyers and then become judges or, or lawyers themselves that control the courts, they just kind of rubber stamp this um, this leftist madness and they make it more and more difficult for the system to actually restrain violence. They make it the system more liberal in accepting violence. And it's, it's a very nasty, uh, vicious cycle right down to the bottom. And we only need to look to our southern neighbors to, to find, or we need to look to our cities ourselves, like uh, St. Louis or Detroit or Baltimore, to see where that leads. Yeah, they're very good at deconstructing, but they're not very good at fixing any of these problems. Yeah, it's uh, because I don't think they're trying to fix the problem. If, if they're trying to fix the problem, they wouldn't be doing precisely what you described. When it's so, it's obvious to anybody. It's really obvious to anybody, and if they're not thinking about if they if they don't get the point then they're they're intentionally not getting the point that this stuff damages the communities that they they do this in and by encouraging people to resist arrest or by not uh, focusing on that as a problem and a causal factor for the eventual um uh the of death of the um whatever the assailant um by not focusing on that they're sending the wrong messages into society which will which will perpetuate it so I don't think there's any reason to believe any at all that these people care about the communities that they're going to. They're just trying to soak up resentment and generate a voting block of people that are absolutely full of hatred um, because that serves their longer term goals, um, which, I mean, if we follow their actions to the conclusions, that's the destabilization of the country that we live in. Yeah, it's very curious that you know, you're going to have all these mainstream media figures I'm sure they wouldn't like it if they were assaulted, but it's not as big of a deal when it goes on in some community that they're 
not aware of or they don't have to see on a daily basis. And it's also very curious that you have uh, in these very wealthy communities, you have a lot of police officers or you'll have private security forces there. And some of these mainstream media figures will also have their own personal security guards. So if the police are so bad, then why do they subscribe to them so richly? They have all these police officers around them. But if they're bad, why would you want them around? And if everyone is good, and if they go to dangerous communities and everyone is a good person, um, then, which is kind of an underlying premise, they never bring up the fact that some people are tremendously problematic. Some people will resist arrest and attempt to shoot police officers, and they have to worry about that all the time so they can go home to their kids every day and every night. Yeah, it makes people wonder why they don't have all these media studios in the middle of the hood. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's the whole thing is obnoxious. Um, And the media bias is not limited to this kind of brutality. This is one of many um, legs, so to speak, or spokes on a wheel of a much larger destabilization process. Yeah, but the issue is now is like with President Trump and all those alternative media around, it's a lot easier for people to see the hypocrisy within the mainstream media. And I think this easy ability for people to discern when there is hypocrisy, that's going to lead to the demise of mainstream media. And it's only going to build the Trump or the right wing base because they're going to be very skeptical about whatever comes out of the institutional talking heads. But there are some problems with this, right? You would think that in a reasonable society of smart people, not even terribly smart, but just critically thinking people, that they can see this alternative view and they'll just dismiss um, these issues, uh, dismiss the the falsehoods that the media promotes. But I have personal experience. I'm sure you have personal experience. We know that a lot of the, the people who receive these this message and believe it are almost impossible to reason with. They, they avoid the argument. They resort to ad hominems. Um, they just follow it. And, and it doesn't seem like you can really uh, convince them in any way. And uh, with mass migration, who this kind of insane rhetoric helps, right? If you're a Latin American immigrant or something, and then all of a sudden you become a victim group, you get special status. Um, you can insult the ethnic majority um, or another sex without having any insult on you, all this kind of thing, you get these benefits. And so if we keep increasing these people, even if the trend is moving in the right way and we have reasonable people that are moving over from formerly uh, on the left to presently on the right, um, it, it just expedites this. So that, that, that goes to the point of illegal immigration being one of the critical factors for first controlling um, the people who are in our country who can actually behave in a democratic fashion. And secondly, I would look at the global capital that's really doing so much damage, Soros, for instance, um, because if you trace the uh, the financial origins or the, you know, a lot of a lot of the steam in this movement's engine, it comes from, you know, global capital. And without that money uh, producing this kind of stuff, I don't think anything this authentic could possibly stand. Yeah, I mean, if people were angry at the CIA for instituting coups of other countries, shouldn't we also be a little concerned if someone is trying to institute a coup in our own country? You know what it is, though? It's that other countries are other countries and not our country. And the CIA is doing it supposedly in the bit in the interest of our country. So they want to criticize the CIA because they want to help our country and hurt other countries, right? But when other countries manipulate our country, They want to protect those countries so that our country can be weakened. So you see a trend going on here. It's always what's most damaging to America. I'll take that position every time. Yeah, this should be very concerning for the movement. And just if you're a citizen of of the U.S. and you want America to stay as America. If you want to live in a country that has laws and opportunity, like if you want to go live in uh, Juarez, Mexico, go for it. I mean, you can go. They probably won't let you in because they won't give you citizenship, but you can be a tourist there and you can hang out for a while and you can see what a dysfunctional society is like. Or you can go to Venezuela presently. There are many places in the world that are completely dysfunctional. But if you want to live in a a functioning society with a high level of wealth, this is not the way to get there. And uh, that's, that's quite an understatement at that. 
Yeah, so it seems like what the takeaway points are is that we should be skeptical about what the mainstream media is saying about these types of cases where you have an officer using lethal force against a suspect. And if you allow this type of lawlessness to occur, crime is only going to get worse. And if you want a place like Juarez, Mexico, that's what you're going to get if you don't stand up and say, hey, maybe these officers are doing something right and maybe these suspects are doing something wrong. And let's keep in mind, compared to some of the most violent cities on earth, many of which are south of our border, um, St. Louis is actually not the worst place to live. It's it's astonishingly bad. It's really bad. It's up there on the global spectrum. But it gets a lot worse. And I guess that means that it can get a lot worse. So um, we have a lot to fight for. We, you know, we don't want to hit the bottom. And once you hit the bottom, it's uh, it's not easy to get back up to the top. So I hope we I hope we act quickly, and I hope our uh, our president and his administration provides a lot of leadership in really handling this. We haven't seen a lot of action from the from the Trump administration about this kind of thing, addressing the fake news other than just criticizing them, but you know addressing them in a manner that would include some kind of culpability, criminality. This stuff is not good for me. It's 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 absolutely criminal. Um, and, or he hasn't directly uh, addressed the protesters. So. I'm sure he has his reasons. Um, at this point, I'm very confident that they're good reasons. But I think um, to get a handle on this from the executive and from the government itself, it would be very helpful. And if the president doesn't want you know, certain factions of citizens taking matters into their own hands, which if you watch the YouTube videos, a lot of them are getting ready for it. And a lot of them are just ready for the, the breakdown in government so that they can go wild. And we're talking about the, the father right um, groups among us. Um, that's, that's another way to handle it. Um, but I think when the government handles it, I don't know, am I libertarian or not? It's a, it's a question. It's a curious question. But when the government handles it, um, we can assume that it will be in a more orderly fashion. Yeah, it's much better to have this uh, resolved in an orderly fashion with a government that uh, we elect and that we prefer to have rule over us rather than purely from a violent standpoint. Because you have to remember, there has to be a solution for T plus one the day after, you know, you say you've crushed all of your opposition. But, you know, the war is not over yet. And I'm pretty hopeful that with all of this new information that people have available to them, and if you use a little bit of critical thinking, they start to realize the hypocrisy of the mainstream media and of the fake news narrative that's being pushed on them. And they're just going to wake up and realize this is not the way I want our country to go. And what we need to do is we need to stop these narratives and we need to actually try to do something to actually help these communities instead of keeping them down. And another thought, I would say in regards to the the point that I was making just a bit earlier, the government damn well better handle this because we pay enormous, uh, enormous, the government takes enormous resources of ours in tax to provide the security apparatus. I'm speaking of the police. Their salaries are quite generous. The police do just fine. And if we're funneling this money into a common institution, that institution better handle our problems and shouldn't make us uh, resort to handling them ourselves, which is risky and negates the concept of having police anyway. Even if we cut the police force by, I don't know, 70% tomorrow so that we had a small government, more libertarian society, for God's sake, I mean, we are owed quite a bit for the incredible budget that they've enjoyed for a long period of time. I think they absolutely need to keep law and order, and the media has no right to to undercut that, that public service that they provide that we, the taxpayer, um, fund in order to have this kind of common benefit. Exactly. We expect a sort of return on an investment for having all these police officers in our communities and they provide a great value by maintaining law and order which is necessary for a healthy economy so with that i think we should wrap up this episode thank you all for tuning in to uh, unfiltered and intellectual podcast see you next time